this, this morning, before I came up, just before I came up, I was just came to my mind about Genesis chapter 1. And uh, it was the Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters before creation. And the Holy Spirit was just waiting. Nothing happened until God spoke the word. And then he said, let there be light. And then there was light, but it was the Holy Spirit working. I sense the Holy Spirit brooding over us this morning. I think many of us do. Let's bow our heads. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak salvation. Yes, in the name of Jesus, we speak healing of body, mind, soul, and spirit. In the name of Jesus, we speak encouragement of heart. In the name of Jesus, we speak comfort. In the name of Jesus, we speak deliverance. In the name of Jesus, we speak life. And we speak joy. And we speak inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for what you are doing. And thank you for the fruit. In your holy name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> I get called an Egypt a lot. <laughs> Not just at home. <laughs> but I can see why. You know, the other day, true story, I get up and I'm still quite tired and I go downstairs and Karen had already left the house. She left early. <laughs> And I saw her phone lying on the table there. And I thought, man, she needs her phone. What's she going to do without her phone today? And I thought, I'm going to call her so she can get her phone. <laughs> True. I got out my phone. This is before my cup of coffee. And I dialed her number. And then all of a sudden, it started ringing on the table. I thought, boy, she really did need that phone. They're calling her. <laughs> and then it, then it struck me, you know. Egypt. <laughs> Dear Lord, have you ever done that? Yes. Really? Oh, praise God. <laughs> that makes me feel good. <laughs> no wonder we all end up in this church. <laughs> but but we, sure in, we sure depend on our phones a lot, don't we? You see it everywhere. I mean, we need them to communicate with each other. You know, some of you here were born and raised with a, with a telephone, and you have no idea what life was like before the mobile phone. It was quite boring, boring for the last 10,000 years <laughs> till the phone came. But this morning we're talking about King David. That's quite a transition, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, King David didn't have a mobile phone. No one in Israel owned a mobile phone. But the closest thing they had to a mo mobile phone was the Ark of the Covenant. It was mobile because it took quite a few priests to move it about. 
and it wasn't just 5G, but its range reached all the way to heaven. This is the only mobile phone they had. It was quite fancy. It was made out of gold. It's probably why there was only one. Nobody could afford it. New technology, you know. And most people on our streets, I, I believe, know what the Ark of the Covenant is. And why would they know what it is? It's because of Indiana Jones, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, now this is the picture near the end of the movie when they're getting ready to open the Ark. I, I was really disturbed when I first saw that because when they opened it, you start seeing all the faces melting. You remember that part? We don't need to keep that vision in our head, but it was quite creepy. I, I even closed my eyes for part of that. I'm a little more desensitized now, which may be a bad thing, but it was really creepy. The Bible introduces us to the ark in Exodus 25. And God told Moses, make it out of wood, but cover that thing with gold. Another picture. That, that, that's pretty much what it looked like. And then they put it in the holy of holies of the temple. And the ark was to have central place in their service, in their ministry and worship to God throughout Israel. The presence of God was focused on that ark. The Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred, it was the most holy object Israel ever had because this is where the nation had direct contact with God, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the mobile phone of the ancient world, if we could say that. It was where the cloud by day and the fire by night, you remember reading about that in the Old Testament, it always centered from the Ark because that's where God's presence was. If you wanted to draw closer to God, you would move closer to the ark. It's where the palpable presence, the tangible presence of God was located. It's where God chose to live and where he chose to, to concentrate his presence on earth was at that ark. And we know King David was a man after God's own heart. So when David took Jerusalem, he made it the capital of the nation because it was right in the center of the nation, but he also wanted the tangible presence of God there. I think if anybody who has a heart after God, they want to be in the tangible presence. And if it's located in that ark, then he said, man, I got to bring the ark here to Jerusalem. So he goes to Shiloh, which was about 31 kilometers away. That's where the ark was located at that time. And David got his men together and he said, we're going to Shiloh and we're going to bring the ark here right to Jerusalem and, and, and the tabernacle because we want the tangible presence of God in our city. It, it, it's hard not to be a person after God's own heart if you don't have the ark around. And no one was allowed to open it in the Old Testament. So we don't know if their faces would melt or not. But there was a lot of strange things that always happened when the ark was around. It wasn't safe and it wasn't easy. 
In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 9, David's bringing the ark. They all, they put it on a cart. They weren't supposed to put it on a cart. God told them the priests are supposed to carry it, but they put it on a cart and they were taking it to Jerusalem and the ark started to wobble on the cart. And we know the story. One of David's men, one of his friends reaches out to touch the ark to keep it from falling. And immediately when he touched that ark, he fell over dead. God was making a point. First Chronicles 13, 9. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Well, that really freaked David out. He thought, here I am bringing the ark, the presence of God to Jerusalem, and now we try to keep his ark steady, and God kills him. So what does David do? He takes the ark, and he leaves it in a nearby house. And he, he says, we can't take it to Jerusalem anymore. David was really angry at that. So he left it there. But the ark was sacred, it was holy, and it was quite scary at times. Earlier on in the history of the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines captured it in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And what they did, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they set it up in their temple of Dagon, their god. Now, Dagon was a god that looked like a mermaid, fish on the bottom, man on the top, and he had a big statue in the temple, Dagon the god. I'm sure some of us here would visit that temple since it honored fish, maybe in the first row. But, <laughs> but, but surprisingly, each morning when the Philistines entered the temple of Dagon, they would find that statue prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. God was making a statement there. It tipped over on its face, and the Philistines thought, what is this thing we brought into the camp, this Ark of the Covenant? And God was showing them that even their false gods will bow down before the Ark, before God. And I love this part. First Samuel 5, 9, the Philistines were afraid and didn't know what to do with the Ark because their gods kept bowing down to it. Kind of like David. He didn't know what to do with it either when Uzzah died. Scary business. They thought our idols never do anything. But boy, this God does something. So the Philistines moved the ark to another town. They said, let them deal with it. Let them worry about it. But the Philistines, they take the ark, brought it into town. And everyone in that town came down with Hemorrhoids. That's what it says. They came down with a dose of hemorrhoids. And it happened long before preparation age. Not that I would know anything about that, but I just thought I'd throw that, that out. <laughs> Dear Lord, have mercy. <laughs> but when the ark came to that Philistine town, the Philistines encountered the tangible presence of God, of the one true living God, and their false gods bowed before it, and the people 
were forced to always stand before it. They couldn't sit down for specific reasons. <laughs> there was no melting of faces, <laughs> but the Ark of the Covenant was powerful. It brought with it, like in Isaiah 6, the seraphim, which was like those cherubim over the ark. They were shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And that's what they were facing, the holiness of God. The Ark of the Covenant was powerful. You disrespect the Ark and you disrespect God. That's the way it was then. It's treasured among the Jews. We know the ark held the contract between God and Israel. It held the Ten Commandments and other things. The salvation of the Jewish people was represented in this ark. It was the heart of the nation. It was Israel's security. It's where they connected with God. So King David, a man after God's own heart, in 2 Samuel 6, 12 he hears that the family he left the ark with is being blessed. They were experiencing the tangible, tangible blessing of God. I'll read it. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. They were saying, basically, the presence is still over there, David. The blessing is over there. But where's the presence here in Jerusalem? Where's the blessing here? So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Eben to the city of David, Jerusalem, with rejoicing. So David gets it, and they are rejoicing. It's party time as they're walking down these 31 kilometers to Jerusalem. You know, it would be even probably like Palm Sunday or more, you know, and everybody was just rejoicing because the presence of God was coming to town. David was so overcome with joy, he strips off all his clothes except for a modest covering. It's probably so he could dance freer, and he was freer, and he danced before that ark all the way down the street. This king, half naked, dancing before the ark of God as it comes into Jerusalem. David obviously wasn't Presbyterian. <laughs> and I apologize to all my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. The loony, charismatic fringe can be a bit over the top at times. But David was in direct, tangible presence of God, the God he loved. His heart was over. Do you ever, I get this a lot, I just feel inside of my heart, I almost, I almost feel like I have two arms reaching out and just saying, more, God. I, I, I need you. I'm longing for you, that hunger. That's what David had. I think that's part of what it means to be a man after God's own heart. <clears throat> so he was honoring God above his own dignity and position as king of Israel. I wonder if our king will ever do that. You never know what God can do. In 2 Samuel 6.20, so David's wife, 
she's watching all of this charismatic behavior out there. And she, and she sees David rejoicing before the Lord, and David comes home, and she gives off to him. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, hey? Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She just didn't get it. She didn't know the tangible presence of God. So here is where we see the heart of God, the heart of David in this. Chapter 2 Samuel 6, 12, 6, 21. David said to his wife, it was before the Lord. That's who I was dancing before. I wasn't dancing before all these slave girls. My heart, I was just worshiping. I was just dancing before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from, the, from his house when he appointed me ruler over Lord's people Israel I will celebrate before the Lord I will not be tied down I will not be afraid of what people think of me because I am doing it before an audience of one the Lord God Almighty and that's what I am doing when we worship. And then he said, I will become even more undignified than this. And, and, and what he was saying to his wife, man, you haven't seen nothing yet. Now his presence is here in Jerusalem and it's going to be right next in the temple, right, right, right near the palace. And I, the presence of God is here. You are going to see more than this because I am a man after God's own heart. And I'm going to run after him and I will go to Shiloh and bring him here or whatever it takes. Wherever God is, I want to be there. And he says, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He said, even I am embarrassed from my behavior. Do you ever get that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Quite a lot, really. But, but it didn't matter. He said, I'm nothing. But then he says to them, but you know these slave girls you spoke of? They'll hold me in honor. They'll see here's a king who loves the Lord as God and he'll do anything to be in his presence. I want to go on a little about the history of the ark. Then one day... So about 500 years before Jesus came, this is long after David died, the ark was taken away by the Babylonians. The Babylonians come in and they take the ark and it's never seen from, we never see it again, ever. We, we, we don't know what, what happened to the ark. And I just think of Psalm 84, 8. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty, listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one, your king. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. But I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God because that's where God's presence is, where the ark is. But now the ark is gone. Where do I come into the tangible presence of God? Where am I going to find him? Where am I going to go? Psalm 42, 1. As the deer, you know this one, pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go to meet God? But where can I go to meet God? Where is the ark today? We don't know. Steven Spielberg would tell us it's in a warehouse stored in the U.S. somewhere. Just throw the picture on there. He would tell us that's where it is. <laughs> Jewish resources tell us Josiah, King Josiah hid the ark before the Babylonians came. We don't know. We don't, if he did, we don't know where he hid it. Some say Solomon early, early on hid it in a cave to keep protect it from enemies, but we don't know where it is. Some say it's buried under the temple. We have no idea. Some say it's hidden in Egypt. You know, I went to Egypt, went from Israel when I was there and we went through the Sinai on a bus and it was hot and you could hardly see the road, it's just sand. And we end up in Cairo, going to go see the, the pyramids. This is quite a few years ago in my younger days. And um, still in them. And <laughs> Liar. No. <laughs> but uh, we went to, went to Egypt and was able to go in, into the big Cheops pyramid. I don't know if you've ever been there. And you walk, it takes about 20 minutes to walk into the center of that. And you're bent down like this because it's a small cave. The Egyptians were probably shorter then. Kind of like some of your houses here. I bumped my head on your, well, amen. <laughs> but it went up to the Cheops Pyramid. And um, throw the, another picture on there. That, 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 that's all you see in the center in that little room. And some say it was a sarcophagus or something, but some say it was the same dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. And I've heard people say the Ark of the Covenant was on there. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out. But obviously, it's not there now. <laughs> Where's the Ark? Some say it's hidden in, in this church in Ethiopia, but they won't let anyone in to see it. Some people say it's here in Antrim, <laughs> in that big metal, metal container in our parking lot back there. <laughs> but John won't give us the keys <laughs> to check it out. <laughs> Maybe that's why we sense the presence here, you know. But, but in all of this, I, I think, I hope we're getting some idea of what the loss of the ark meant to the Jews. It was... It, and how it affected their faith. It was like taking the soul of the nation and ripping it out of them. And no one but God knows where it is. So in their history, the, the Jews go back to Israel and, and they felt led to start building the temple. 
and halfway through they quit. They quit building it because they lost heart. And you know one of the reasons? It's because we can build this temple and we can make a holy of holies here. But we have nothing to put in the holy of holies. Where's the presence of God? We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. So why are we building this temple? Good question. And the older men and women who saw the earlier temple, they started weeping before this and thinking, what have we lost? We do not long longer have the tangible presence of God with us. The younger people were rejoicing because they never saw what it was like before. Where's the ark? So God sends Haggai the prophet. Are you, are you with me so far? So God sends Haggai the prophet to encourage them. And he says, who of you here is left who saw this house, the temple with the ark in its former glory? And all the older folk would raise their hands. How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? Does it seem like an empty temple without the presence of God? But now be strong, Zerubbabel. He was kind of the architect, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Finish building this temple. And then he says, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. For I am with you. The ark is no longer with you, but I'm still here. This is what I covenanted with my people when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And then he goes on and says, the glory of this temple is even going to be greater than the one before. You had the ark before, but now you have me and you don't need the ark. Is this making some sense? The glory of the temple. You don't have the ark, but you still have me. Here's the question. Am I not enough for you? And I think God would ask that sometimes to us. Am I not enough for you? Maybe the new temple won't look as grand as the one built by David's son Solomon. Even though the Holy of Holies looks a bit emptier, I am still here. You didn't lose me. Am I not enough for you? Do you need an ark? I've often heard people say, we don't sing the same old hymns and psalms anymore. You ever heard that? It's almost like the ark is gone. That's where I contacted God. It's gone. Our pastor retired. What will we do without him or her? And it's almost this idea. The ark is gone. This is where I connected with God. But God says, am I not enough for you? Do you really need an ark? I find at times God allows the arks in our life to disappear. And he always brings changes to help us not get attached to what's around us, to all the things we attach our, our faith to to help us to reach God. 
or what we have anchored our experience with God on. Where's the pipe organ? We don't say that much. People do. Where's the Wurlitzer? <laughs> Where's the prayer book? Where's Joe and his accordion? <laughs> Where'd these drums come from? <laughs> but God is saying to all of us, if I took away your musicians and you didn't have the worship group, would I still be enough for you to connect with me? If I took away all the songs you loved, would I still be enough for you to worship me and contact me? What if I took away your building and your building fund? Would you still worship me together in unity? Am I enough for you? What if I took away your programs? What if I took away your ministry? What if I took away your credentials? Would I be enough for you? Would you be content just to have me and nothing else? Or do you at times long for another ark, a place to connect? Is the ark in Redding, California? Is the ark here in Journey? Is the ark down the road with the Methodists, the Baptists, the free peas? You know where the ark is? Christ in you. The hope of glory. And the glory of that new temple may be greater than the former. But boy, the glory of this temple is greater than any of those. We don't need an ark. And we got to be steady just on Jesus and, and nothing else in between. Jesus says, am I not enough for you? Blessed be your holy name. Interesting how the history of the ark ends. In Jeremiah, he makes his prophecy. Chapter 3, verse 16. In those days, when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, that's when you return, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered, it will not be missed, nor will another one be made. Why? Because he says, says now with my presence here, I'm not just situated on that ark, I'm in the whole city, the holy city. And now as Christians, he, God says, now I am pouring out my spirit on all flesh all over the world. The glory. We don't need anything in between us or anything to reach God. And sometimes we depend on our little arcs, but Jesus is saying, Thank you, my sister. God, God, is, God is saying, Just, it's me. You know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, I am the ark.
I am in your heart. Even when the floods come, when everything in your life changes and even disappears, I am here for you. Christ in me, Christ in you, Christ among us, the hope of glory. The glory no longer rests upon the ark. The glory is upon you. The glory is upon us. Christ is our ark. I don't need to turn on. I mean, it's good. I'm not saying these things are bad at all, but I'm just saying I don't need to turn on the latest worship tape to contact Jesus. He is enough. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, Almighty God, we thank you. We pray you, you continue to work in us and draw us to yourself and make us men and women after your own heart. Help us to center more and more on you. And if we just end up in a desert with nothing, Lord, we know we still have you and we pray you help us to be content in every situation and holding on to you, abiding by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.